0: This is the Birth, Baby, and Life Podcast with Kristen Burgess, and we are pureeing our way into episode number 40. Welcome to the Birth, Baby, and Life Podcast, the tips, tools, and straight talk you want for pregnancy, childbirth, and bringing up baby. And now your host, Kristen Burgess. Hi, this is Kristen from naturalbirthandbabycare.com, and I am here with another Birth, Baby, and Life podcast episode. Today, we're going to talk about feeding difficulties when you're starting solids with your little one. And <laughs> you have Corwin in the background again, and I'm hoping, unlike the last episode, he won't try and sing over me, but we'll see what happens. Okay, so we're gonna talk about feeding difficulties. I'm gonna spend a few minutes on picky eaters and then a little bit longer on children who really have a problem aside from pickiness. Picky eating can be very normal in children. I've had children who are not picky at all. Most of my children are not picky at all. But I've had some who have some foods that they don't really care for or they don't care for when they're starting solids in their younger years but then they grow to like. And I think that's really normal and I think it's reasonable to expect that children don't like a food. I always think it's good to consider if your child is expressing a strong dislike for a food, if they have, they could possibly have a food allergy for it or if there's something like that going on. So my second really didn't like milk. He didn't want milk and later we were having a lot of issues with him developmental issues and we decided to take him off of dairy and the improvements that he made were relatively dramatic in a very short amount of time about two weeks after we removed the dairy from his diet we've since reintroduced dairy but it's only been um really unprocessed dairy so from grass-fed cows and it was after a long long period of no dairy and he does well with it now but i believe that He and his little toddler self was telling me at that point that he just couldn't handle that dairy or the conventional dairy that we were having. So I think it's always good to respect where a child is and if there may be a true reason for their pickiness, so to speak, about a food, if it may be something more than pickiness. So that's always something to consider first. But the reality is is that most little ones are just they have t- a tendency to be picky, or they may not like things. Some things are developmentally appropriate. For instance, most toddlers don't eat salads, and or they don't eat lettuces. They may eat some salad veggies. But it, de- developmentally, they're not very good at digesting salad. They don't digest corn and beans and stuff very well. You'll see all that stuff just kind of come straight through and out the other end. And and so if they don't like that, <laughs> It's because their body really can't utilize it, and so you can't blame them for that. So, for instance, when I'm serving a salad for the family, I might give my toddler a little bit of a lettuce leaf just to see if they're going to start eating it. But otherwise, I just give them the other veggies, like the cucumbers and things, that I've cut up for the salad. So consider those sorts of things when you're handling a picky eater. But other than that, pickiness is normal, and I also think that it's good to teach children not to be picky. I really believe that unless there is a developmental or a medical reason for their pickiness, that it's best to encourage a child to eat what they're given. So the guidelines that I advise for that, and I feel like I've been pretty successful in creating children who for the most part aren't picky. My 12-year-old still won't really eat mushrooms. She will eat one mushroom a meal. And if they're chopped up in the food, she doesn't have a problem with them. But otherwise, she doesn't care for them, and that's fine. She's my only one that's had a long-lasting thing. Um, but you know, but otherwise, I really try to encourage them to, to eat what they're given. And the first thing that our family does is we do not short order cook. Now, in a minute, you're going to hear kind of an exception to this when I talk about actual physiological feeding difficulties. But otherwise, for a normal child who has no health or development problems, I do not short order cook. And even for a child who may have some developmental problems, it depends on what they are because my base is essentially I will not short order cook for a child. That means that I will not go and make them something else while the family eats something different. The only person in the family that gets short order cook treatment is me when I'm pregnant. And I know I sound like a hypocrite, but those of you who have been pregnant understand that if something is going to make you lose everything you've eaten that day and you're serving that to your family, it is okay to serve yourself something different. But for a child, I always, I always give them what I'm serving the family. And if they don't want to eat it, that's fine. I will never force a child to eat, though if they're picky about something, for instance, my Cassidy with mushrooms, you know, we'll give her one mushroom. Um, But otherwise, I I never force a child to eat a meal that they don't want. But they also know that they're not going to get a peanut butter sandwich or macaroni and cheese or anything after that. So they know that this is what they've got, and if they choose to have a hungry tummy over a meal, then that's fine. And I've never had a child willingly starve themselves. I know some parents talk about that, um, and there are some tactics, I guess, that you could try for that, which is just serve the same meal over and over again I've heard doing that but anyways if you've got a child doing that it's a little bit beyond this podcast but my children have never really held out for very long and usually choose to at least nibble on the meal rather than go hungry because all of my children are very motivated by their stomachs so you can include foods that you know your child likes in every meal Um, and then you can, you know, offer other things, other new things, maybe things that they don't prefer so much. And I've had children, uh, especially Galen will do this, where he will eat all of what he likes and then he will leave what he doesn't like, or he'll drink all of his milk and then leave the other thing. And usually it's rice or oats, a starch or a grain that he'll eat all of, and then he'll leave the meat. And so what we do, if he's binging like that, it's not just a one-time occurrence, is we'll set his milk aside and tell him, after you finish your meat portion, which is always very reasonable for his size and age, then we'll bring your milk over or then we'll give you your rice or your potato or whatever it is. And that generally works very well and with minimal fuss to get them to eat the the very nourishing part of the meal. Um, But usually that's not much of a problem, but those are some things that you can... Little tips that you can have for a child who may may have tendency towards pickiness. It's good also to have a routine uh, on developed around eating. So this is this is that you have your meals. So you have breakfast, and then you have a morning snack, and then you have lunch, and then you have an afternoon snack, and then you have dinner, and then it's bedtime. Some families do a bedtime snack, but our family really hasn't. So. Anyways, so, you know, you have that routine and that's what it goes through all day. And this helps you to avoid, uh, first of all, it avoids a child getting so very hungry that it's affecting them behaviorally. And secondly, your child knows, I eat at snack time or I eat at mealtime and I don't eat it other times and I think that's very valuable because especially if you have a picky eater they may have the tendency to ask for snacks constantly throughout the day so that they can hold out at mealtime when it's something that they may not like so much and I tend to try and give my toddlers and preschoolers a morning snack and an afternoon snack, and that's what I do if I'm pregnant. But uh, once my children got up really into the older elementary years, but I would I noticed that there were issues around having, you know, the morning snack and uh, pickiness at lunchtime or grumpy attitudes if it didn't happen or if I was late with it. And so at that point, I tend to drop the morning snack for them. Though we always have hard-boiled eggs available, and they're welcome to have one of those. But since hard-boiled eggs aren't as appealing as some of the other snacks, they often won't choose to have those, and I really think it was more just the fun factor than a hunger factor. Though, again, I, I have the eggs available because I want them to know that there's plenty if they're truly hungry, but a lot of times I think it's not truly hunger and just, ooh, that what Mama made for the toddlers looks very appealing, and I want some of that. But I do try and give my toddlers a morning and an afternoon snack Unless they're not eating well at meal times, and then I'll either scale back on the Snack, I won't give a liquid with the snack like if I was giving milk with the snack I won't do that Until I find a balance that helps them to eat the meals because even though our snacks are always nutritious and I always try and Include a protein the majority of their nutrition is coming at mealtime So I follow a routine and I tweak that routine to help the child understand that food comes at certain times and that there are times we do not eat and that that's okay and to help motivate them to eat at meal times. Another good tip is that you need to have your child sit at the table. So this doesn't mean force your child to eat. Like I said a minute ago we never require our children to eat if they don't want to. We never require them to clean their plate though we may say you need to eat this food before you get this other food But we never require them to eat, but we do require them to be at the table with the family unless they're sick or something. So even little toddlers, if it's mealtime, they need to sit at the table, and they need to sit at the table relatively nicely, no throwing food or bowls or plates. And if that's a problem with a little toddler, we'll move everything away as we're teaching them to sit nicely. But, um, But they have to be at the table because... And, and it's really matter of fact. So if they're, if they're doing something they shouldn't, then you can gently but firmly correct them. And, but basically you're letting them know that this is mealtime and they need to be at the table. They can't be playing. They can't be watching television. An older child can't be playing his Game Boy or futzing around on an iPad or whatever the million electronic things that children have these days are. Can't be reading a book. Your child needs to be at the table and at least participate with the family meal, and this can help. This can help avoid the problem with those children who just when, those excuse me those children who just are too busy to sit down and eat because they know that they're going to have to come sit at the table anyways. Um, And if your child really has a lot of trouble sitting at the table, you can teach them in small increments using a timer. So 5 to 10 minutes, the timer goes off, and you gradually extend it to however long your family takes to eat, 15, 20 minutes, or some families have a much longer, especially evening meal time. So you can help your child work up to that and develop reasonable expectations as to when there may be another activity, like at a restaurant they may color or something while waiting for the meal, and that sort of thing is very reasonable. So think about this situation and what your what your child needs. Remember to involve your child in food preparation as much as possible. I know this is sometimes hard and overwhelming when not involving them is just really a lot easier. But for instance, right now, uh, Corwin really wants to be helpful and at eighteen months, He's not really helpful, but one thing he can do is carry things from the fridge. So we have a teeny, teeny, tiny refrigerator is all that will fit in our kitchen four inch, and we're a family of eight so that's that doesn't really work for us so we have another larger refrigerator in our laundry room and so i'll often go get food out of there for the meal and there's usually something a piece of fruit or a vegetable or a stick of butter something that won't break if it's dropped and i can hand him that and he can carry that to the kitchen for me while i'm carrying other things and he really loves to do that uh, Honor can put things in a in a pan, so if I've cut uh, cabbage is one thing she likes to do. If I've, if I've cut cabbage, she likes to put it into the pan for me that's on the stove, and she's three now, so she's old enough to understand hot and to be able to do that, and I'm right next to her. And older children can help with chopping vegetables. Uh, even little ones can toss salad. If you've got veggies coming in from the garden, like snap peas and things, even little ones can often help with that. Uh, They can shred lettuce if you've got a head lettuce, scrub vegetables, Uh, older children can help with grating cheese. So there's a lot of things that children can do in the kitchen to be helpful, even smaller things. And especially if you brag on the child to another parent or to an older sibling, they're often more encouraged to eat what they've helped to prepare. So that's another thing to help. And then, of course, the other thing is the classic mom trick of just going for the appeal of food. So dips. Children love dipping food, so you can come up with fun dips. Um, And you can do things like ants on a log, which, if you don't know what that is, it's a piece of celery with some peanut butter or almond butter spread down the center and then little raisins so it looks like little ants marching along the log. Those sorts of things are a lot of fun for children, and you can find preschool and toddler cookbooks that have a lot of those kinds of ideas, and some of them are a little bit time consuming, but others, like a guacamole or just making a quick dip up, are not really very time consuming, and those things make things more fun for children. Remember also, always serve child-sized portions, so if your child is not finishing meals on a regular basis, serve a smaller portion, and if they start asking for seconds, you know it's time to up the portion. You can also limit drinks with meals. I hinted at this a minute ago with Galen, something that he'll do a lot is fill up on milk at meals, or sometimes if he gets a lot of milk at snack time, so we will We will serve the meal, and then he can have his milk once he's eaten a good portion of his meal. And if it's a consistent problem at mealtimes, you can try serving the milk with snacks or a lesser portion at snacks, and then just just don't serve juices and things because those fill children up essentially with empty calories. Keep it limited to, like, soup broths and milk if your child drinks milk. And then desserts, uh, I would just... I would just not offer desserts if you have problems with a picky eater. Maybe fruit at snack time sometimes, but otherwise, not desserts, and don't offer desserts really as a reward. Just just go ahead and establish good eating habits with your child. And then if there's something your kid really, really won't eat, you can sneak it in. Again, lots of toddler and preschool Cookbooks talk about this, um, about, you know, how you can blend in greens and things into spaghetti sauces and that sort of thing. So you can try that, too, if you got a really picky one. Uh, if your child is really, really picky, and this often comes with developmental problems, and this is not a, a digestive or food-related problem, but maybe something like uh, like an autism spectrum disorder, then it can often be a lot more trying and you have to work to get a child to accept even one bite of food. And Dr. Camille McBride, who has written a lot about gut and digestive health, has a chapter on that in her book, Gut and Psychology Syndrome. So if your child is struggling with that kind of an issue, I would definitely pick up her book because not only will it talk about healing their gut in case they do have gut issues, but she also talks about some really effective strategies to use with those children. Okay, now we'll switch over to if your child has um, a real feeding difficulty or a feeding disorder. And I had never encountered this until our fourth baby was born. And Galen, he had just developmental disorders, and, I, and actually Corwin had the same thing. So I've had two babies with it now and four babies who didn't have any issue, my first three, and then Honor in between Galen and Corwin, had no problems. So Galen just, he didn't, he wasn't really interested in solids when we first tried to introduce it six months. And I wasn't very worried because on my first three, Cassidy had kind of waited till 11 months. And she was a little on the small side, but she started eating with relish at 11 months. And then Asher and Brennan both started around uh, seven to nine months, the eight month mark really for, for both of them and they just took off with eating. And we I had done baby lead weaning pretty much with both of them which means that you offer bigger foods and you kind of skip the purees. And that was what I intended to do with Galen. So we kind of offered a mashed sweet potato, mashed egg yolk around the 6 month mark and he wasn't interested, so I just backed off and we tried again on a monthly basis and he just he didn't want to eat. He didn't want to eat. He didn't want to eat. And Galen, this is not something that Corwin displayed, but Galen's issues were really probably more extreme than Corwin's. But Galen wouldn't even pick up anything and put it in his mouth. So you see all the pictures of babies with everything in their mouth. And Galen never did that. And um, and so that was, that was something that, that kind of gave me warning flags. The only thing he put in his mouth was to nurse. You know, he would nurse. And that was it. So he just wouldn't accept anything else. And food would still cause a gag reflex. And once we started getting to 9 to 10 months, and Galen really hadn't gained any weight since 6 months, and I was worried. And at his 11, you know, it took him in around, I think at his 9-month visit, the doctor was still, at, okay, he started getting more mobile, and so he probably has just plateaued on weight gain and will gain again. Because he was always really active. He never got lethargic, so he never really got a failure to thrive label, but he was, are you making noises, Corwin? But he was, he was definitely tiny, and by his 12 month visit, he was really tiny. He hadn't grown much at all since six months, and I was really worried, and at that point, the doctor said, okay, you know, you can call early intervention, and in hindsight, I should have, I should have pestered her a lot earlier, but I didn't, you know, this was my first experience with that. So I called early intervention and they were really dismissive at first until finally I said, look, this is my fourth baby and I've never had this problem before. And I still had issues. Like Galen, he would wear little hats, little pilot pilot caps, yeah. like Hannah Anderson pilot caps. And they tied under his neck and They were like, well, maybe he can't eat because he's got the hat tied under his neck. And, I mean, we're talking about a little cotton bow under his neck, nothing that's going to restrict his eating. And it just was kind of ridiculous. But finally, everybody got to the point where, okay, we think that there's something wrong. And I think the early intervention people really keyed in on it when they realized he wasn't putting anything in his mouth or doing anything developmentally appropriate orally. So we got a referral to our local hospital for a swallow study which showed that Galen could swallow but things were there wasn't any physical defect in his digestive system but it seemed to work really slowly and so what they decided is he was just developmentally slow and that he had major oral and texture aversions and whatever caused all of that so we got referred to the feeding clinic at the hospital finally when Galen was about 12 months old And, um, and the feeding clinic was super respectful. They were, they were much quicker on the uptake than early intervention and our doctor, even though I love her, she's still our doctor. But they, they were really good and they helped me learn a lot of strategies and they were very willing to let me bring in all the food and everything because I didn't want Galen to be on any processed, supplements or anything like that but the real goal initially was to get him gaining weight and they were willing to let me home make the supplements and things to help him to help him gain weight so we went twice a week it was really overwhelming and I'm really glad we lived in town at that time because I don't know how I would do it with us living outside of town now but we went twice a week at first and then weekly and the um, our occupational therapist was just really good at helping me facilitate galen's feeding and letting me know what to do at home so um, and i'll share more about what she taught me in a minute but now let's switch from talking specifically about galen and i'll also talk about corwin but uh, to how do you spot feeding difficulties so how do you know if your baby's just being picky or not ready or if your baby has a feeding difficulty so it's normal for your baby to have to learn how to eat solid foods and it's normal for babies to reject foods the first few times they're offered. So if you try a few times and your baby's just not interested then just try again a little later. And if especially if your baby is gaining well and has plenty of energy you can wait. If you know that your baby is a special needs baby then you may already be more alert that they have special feeding needs or if you already know that your baby has allergies, then you may be more aware. But if you're noticing that your baby is getting older, excuse me, nine or ten months and still rejecting solids, if you notice that the tongue thrust reflex, which is where you put something in the baby's mouth and they automatically push it back out, that's a protective reflex in the early months of infancy and it should start fading around the four to six month mark If you notice that that's still very strong later on, then that could be a clue, and you may want to talk about it with your baby's doctor. Um, Other feeding disorder signs are trouble accepting and swallowing different textures, or if they throw major tantrums at mealtime, if they refuse to eat certain food groups, If they refuse to eat any solid food or if they refuse to eat any liquid food, if they choke or gag or vomit repeatedly when eating, and that was a big thing for Galen, Um, if they have other oral, motor, and sensory problems, uh, or if your child needs a G-tube or an NG-tube, then obviously, you know, they've got some feeding difficulties. Sometimes babies who are not ready for, for solid foods will gag on their food, and you may just, you know, you may just step back with that, but, but, uh, but usually they'll get over that. So, if that continues, and that wasn't, like I said, that was a big thing for Galen, then you want to, you want to know that that's going on, or, or you want to know that that might mean something's going on. Okay, so I would recommend that. I mean, you can listen to this and do things on your own, and we took care of Corwin on our own because we had been down that road once before, so Corwin never went to the feeding clinic, Um, and I, you know, I did mention to his doctor that he was a lot like Galen and told her what we were doing, but he's been really healthy, and he's gained weight, and he's never been tiny like Galen was, so I felt comfortable handling it on my own, but if you are really worried about your child do not hesitate do not hesitate to get help and an occupational therapist a feeding clinic can be really helpful and hopefully you'll be blessed like like we were to have a clinic that'll work with you if you want to give good good food so the first thing that a feeding clinic will focus on and that you should focus on is making sure that your child is gaining weight And you may not like some of the solutions that they suggest, like they may suggest something like dual cow, which is a a kind of formula that's made of just fats and carbohydrates, or it's really a powder and it can be added to any food and it's meant to to boost weight gain. And it just, um, you know, I, I didn't want to give that to Galen. So we saw other alternatives, which I'll talk about in a minute. And then some, some feeding clinics and doctors will suggest that you stop breastfeeding if you're breastfeeding to help increase your child's appetite. And I don't like this idea at all because a feeding problem is it usually has to do with texture or a physical structure or some other problem like that. It's it's not that breast milk is filling your child up. So and, and another benefit of continuing to breastfeed or when you're okay. Yeah, you're okay. Another benefit of continuing to breastfeed is that you can improve your own diet and improve the quality of your milk, which I did a podcast a few episodes back, and I can talk about that on or link to that in the show notes. Show notes, and that will help you to, to boost the nutrition of your milk. But you will... You know, you might want to avoid nursing just before you know it's time for a solid feed, and you're probably going to have a pretty rigid schedule with a baby who has feeding difficulties. But I would definitely nurse between solids. And I purposefully continued to make sure that Galen was getting up and nursing at night just because I really wanted him to get those calories. And sometimes if a baby is so, so, so hungry at a feeding therapy session that they can't eat, or you know, they'll be really upset. It's cool when making kissing noises at y'all, but anyways, sometimes nursing for a few minutes to top the child off can help them calm down enough to to participate in the therapy section or session. You're probably going to be encouraged to start your baby with liquid puree. <coughs> And that's really, that was what really helped me with Corwin was I just started him with purees right from the get-go. And we started purees as soon as I started seeing signs that he was doing the gagging and he wasn't swallowing and everything. I mean, we, we just went right to purees. And actually, even with Honor, I pretty much started her with purees, too, because she came right after Galen. And she quickly progressed past purees. But Corwin... I mean, it took months of purees, but he was getting that nutrition, and of course, I was still nursing him. But the purees were giving him the nutrition that he needed so that he was able to grow while his body was also able to catch up developmentally. His digestive system, his esophagus and all of that were catching up. And so even if your baby starts with very liquid purees, you can start with really nutrient-dense foods and help your baby to gain weight. So these are, I'm going to mention some high calorie foods that you can add to your baby's diet and then some high carbohydrate food and you may give these all pureed. I mean, I pureed all of this stuff for my babies. And another thing that I always did was I always tasted the puree to make sure that it tasted good because I didn't want to feed my child something that was icky to me. So, okay, so here, high quality heavy cream, especially from grass fed cows. Coconut milk, make sure it does not say light L I T E on it. Make sure it's full fat coconut milk. Nut butter, so if your baby's not allergic. Butter, like a rich yellow butter, especially from grass fed cows. Avocado, and whole raw milk cheese, whole milk yogurt, or kefir. Cream cheese, I would recommend making it yourself a homemade mayonnaise, sour cream, egg yolks, tuna or sardines packed in oil. Those are all very high fat foods. And then to really pack the weight on a child, you want to combine high fat and high calorie just like, for instance, the DuoCal Cal formula or, or supplement does. But you want to do it with whole foods. So, So my little ones would almost always get a puree, a dessert puree, even if I gave them something different for the main part, but like a heavy cream and a cooked fruit, a a fruit that had been cooked in butter or a sweet potato and then blended together with heavy cream, which I thought tasted good, and that helped them pack on the weight. But some carbohydrate-rich foods to help pack weight on when combined with the high-calorie foods I just mentioned are sweet potato Bananas, carrots, fruits cooked in butter, pumpkin or squash, and that's winter squash, not summer squash. Add lots of butter and coconut milk. You can make a custard with the with the pumpkin that little ones really like. Refried beans, and that's you should make them at home yourself because the canned ones are canned with BHT, which is a preservative, um, and you can make them yourself with butter or with uh, animal fat renderings. And some babies don't do well with beans at first, so you may want to wait till, you know, if you have a toddler for that one. And then small amounts of real maple syrup, so drizzled over a fruit or something. And then after your baby is a year old, small amounts of honey. So your baby needs lots of fat for brain growth and then those carbohydrate foods that I mentioned. When combined with the fat, really help your baby put on weight. And what you want is a chubby baby or toddler, especially if your little one is not gaining weight because they are not able to eat. Some things to expect from a therapy session, or to do if you're if you're not going to therapy or if you're just thinking, is the therapist will look at your baby's oral motor skills, and they'll often do things like they'll use a little baby toothbrush and if you've ever seen those in the store I mean Walmart or Target or Babies R Us or any baby store you'll probably see baby toothbrush sets and some of them are finger brushes that you put on your finger and then you rub them in your baby's mouth and some of them have real bristles and some of them just rubber nubs but an assortment of those are good because you can rub those around inside your baby's mouth and especially if your baby is like Galen who had serious oral aversions When it's blowing us kisses again, but if your baby has serious oral aversions, just doing that—rubbing one of those rubber nubbed uh, toothbrushes or the little one that goes over your finger with the really soft nubs, soft rubber bristles—in your baby's mouth for a few minutes here and there throughout the day can just help them get used to something touching their palate and their tongue. A therapist will have vibrating brushes, so they're actually feeling vibrations, and you can't usually buy the vibrating brushes, but you you can sometimes buy teethers at the store that vibrate, and if your baby will accept that in their mouth, here and there, it can, again, help them just get used to feelings and textures inside their mouth. And then our... All of our babies' favorites, and in fact, we got these for Galen, and all of our babies have loved them since. Honor loved them, and Corwin loved them, but they're called chewy tubes. We call ours chew hammers because they they're, they look like a little hammer, but they're made of um, you know a soft soft, chewable material, kind of like a teether material, but they they come in various textures. There's a really soft one, and usually the color indicates textures, so our soft ones are yellow, and then there's a little bit harder ones, and some are textured, like we've got a green one that's got bumps on it, and a blue one that's got all kinds of different textures on each side, but they're easy for a baby to hold, and they're... They can encourage a baby to bite and chew and to develop oral strength. And you can get them on Amazon. My mom actually bought uh, for a birthday present, I think, for Honor. But she bought a variety pack of them because she had found one of Galen's old ones and just loved it. Um, and she just bought that on Amazon. And Honor loved them and Corwin loved them. And they're just really nice to have around. And Chewy Tubes, I think, is a brand name for them. But... Um, but they can be really helpful for a little one who has very weak chewing skills, and all babies like them as teethers, so they're fun to have around. Um, Let's see, then some other things, tips for actually using at feeding time, and I'm going to try and run through this quickly because I I know I'm at the 35-minute mark already, but start where your baby is at. So Galen was 12 months old when we started, and I would look around at Friends Babies who were basically, it looked to me like they were eating full-course meals, and Galen wasn't eating anything. And the feeding clinic, I mean, our therapist, her name was Patty. The first thing she told me is you just, you need to puree everything. And so at first I was just doing single-food purees and almost a liquid and serving those to him. And then I got to where I was able to puree what the family was eating, but still, it had to be a, a soft puree. And it was very gradual over months and months and months that I moved up. And I had a friend who uh, contacted me, and she's become a good friend since then because her baby had those issues. And her baby, uh, it ended up that he had various food allergies too, and many of the foods he was rejecting he still can't eat now. But for him, it took a lot longer. And even at his age, he's over two now, and he's still really, really very picky and has trouble eating so sometimes it can be a long journey and you should start where your little one is at and remember that it's okay for you to feel sad or to feel lost, or to feel like a failure I felt like a failure with Galen and that's okay but it's also good to remember you can help your baby and you can start where your baby's at and where you're at and move forward remember that you can make nutrient-dense meals for your food Just because your baby needs help with feeding or your toddler needs help with feeding, that doesn't mean you have to give them processed foods. Now, you can use baby foods, and I'll admit that with Corwin, we did use some baby foods because it was just easier sometimes. But you can use all homemade foods. And... Galen, one thing that Galen's occupational therapist was really good about was encouraging me where I wanted to be for my family. And she showed me that you could pretty much make any meal into a puree as long as you had the right blender. Um, and if you want more information on recommended uh, blenders, I can, you can contact me and I can let you know about that. Yeah. Um, but most of Galen's meals yeah. were made of the ingredients that I was using to make the family's meals. So you can feed real food to your baby. Yeah. Corwin. One tip that our occupational therapist gave me that really helped with Galen. It was never an issue with Corwin and I think it's because we caught Corwin. Because we caught Corwin so early. You know, feeding was a torture time for him and I don't know how much this actually helped him, but it really helped me. Um, my, My OT recommended setting a timer. So set a timer for 20 minutes and work with Galen and if he ate during that time that was wonderful and if he didn't that was okay and when the timer went off the meal was done regardless of what the outcome had been and that really helped me because I knew that I wasn't just going to be sitting there trying to cajole Galen to eat food long after the family had finished And Galen was, he also, I think it did really help him because he learned that if he was going to eat, he needed to eat before the timer went off. Because once the timer went off, we were done and he just, he couldn't really play games. And I do think that that had helped because he had learned that it was a back and forth struggle. And then the timer essentially was an important, partial third party that totally took the struggle out. So that was helpful. This is something else I never had to do for for Corwin, but I did with Galen um, because he was just almost eating nothing. And at first I used a little measuring cup, the little small plastic measuring cups that come on top of a a medicine bottle. And ROT gave us a whole bunch of them, but you can usually just buy them at the drugstore. I had to know how much Galen was eating to keep track of how much he was eating and what he was doing. So I would put his food in a measuring cup in little half-ounce increments at first and then ounce increments and then uh, two-ounce increments as we progressed along. But at first, Galen was just, he, he would not really even eat more than a teaspoon of food. And by transferring it into the measuring cup, not only was I able to accurately measure it, but I could put something like a fruit and cream puree away for later and gently heat that up. Again, for another meal without having gotten a lot of baby spit or a possibility of Galen throwing the food or knocking it away or something like that. So that really helped. And then another thing that was really surprisingly helpful, and this really helped my friend too that I just shared about with her little boy, is bring food in from below. So when you offer a spoonful of food to your baby or your toddler, don't thrust it straight at their mouth or don't come from above their mouth level into it. Instead, bring in the food low so that when you bring it in, it's actually under the baby's chin level. And then as you get close to your face, bring it to his mouth. It, it sounds really silly. Um, and especially if a baby is defensive about food and has sensory problems, it's, uh, it really works. Even if it sounds silly because they don't have... They don't get defensive immediately, and they'll accept it better. And it was actually the very first thing that helped Galen start eating more. And when I started with Corwin, that's just what I started with. Another tactic that really worked well with Galen, and I guess this first, I'm still using it because I shared it about, you know, eating the meat and then getting the milk, or eating the meat and then getting his potato. But, or, you know, eating his veggie and then getting his his potato after he's eaten his meat and his veggie. But this worked very well, was uh, this first and then that. So if I had something I knew he really liked, like he loved his fruit and cream purees, but I wanted him to get, say, uh, a meat and veggie puree too, then I would offer him his fruit, fruit puree spoon, and then I would have another spoon and another measuring cup with the meat and veggie puree. And I would offer him that. And those I actually usually had cream in them too. For Galen, everything always had cream or coconut oil or coconut milk in it. But I would offer him a spoonful of that. And then he ate that, and I would give him a spoon of the of the fruit puree and so i was kind of rewarding him and then as he did better and better it would be two spoons of the meat and veggies and then one spoon of the fut puree fruit puree so it was just moving progressively through helping him to realize that all food is good and that he could eat it and uh and, and that he was doing well. Other things to consider for a child with a feeding difficulty, cheer your child on. I don't usually do exaggerated cheering for children because I think they'll start to expre- expect praise for everything. I try to keep it low-key and just acknowledging, hey, you did that. That's cool kind of thing. But with feeding difficulties, giving them praise can be really effective. So like Galen responded really well and Corwin responded really well to yay and clapping after they took a bite. That would encourage them to take another bite. And when you want your baby to just eat and gain weight, sometimes being effusive is worth it. And then ignore negative behavior. So, I mean, just if your baby is fussing or crying in the high chair and your timer hasn't gone off, then just stay neutral and ignore it. Um, I mean, you might say, you're okay, we're having a meal time, it's okay, just matter of fact, but no sappy thing, no, oh, poor baby, I'm so sorry to be putting you through this, don't do anything like that. It's hard not to do this, and I didn't think it would be, but I found myself really doing it unconsciously with Galen apologizing because I knew it was challenging for him, but um but a child with sensory issues has trouble learning to eat. Sometimes it's going to be tough, and you can be there, remain with your child, be calm, neutral, smile gently, just be a loving presence. But this is a challenge that they have to overcome, and you're there to support them with it, but... but. In any way, engaging with negative behavior that the child does usually sets things back. And a timer is really helpful because when the timer goes off, you can end the feed real calmly. And you know you can clean up, give the child a minute to calm down, and then immediately lift them out of the high chair. And I do recommend you always use a high chair if you're in this situation. Don't do, You don't want your lap to be a battleground use a high chair but anyways the timer goes off you clean up give the child a minute then you lift them up and you cuddle them you might have a nurse or you may take a walk or something and just let them know that you're there but but the high chair is a place for neutrality and the the timer really helps facilitate that because you know i only have to remain neutral for for 10 minutes or 20 minutes or whatever it is and then one final thing is uh Baby sign language really helped Galen. Corwin never really got into signing, but Galen it really helped a lot. He learned to, the more sign and the all done sign because they were able, he was able to communicate really well. Um, and then when your child is all done, especially if they finished the meal, you show them their empty medicine cup or their empty bowl. And you clap, and you're excited, and they, they start to learn that finishing a meal is a good thing. And then you can take him out and cuddle him and all that stuff. So, and, and with this, like with Galen, you're starting with the purees and with Corwin, too, and then gradually, just gradually. Sorry, hang on a second, ladies. Helping Corwin situate himself on his potty that he just brought out. Anyways, okay, so you just really gradually can step up the puree textures, and if you realize that there's too much texture, go back down, but you can really serve your child a a balanced diet on a puree and move up, and do watch to see, because there may really be food allergies going on for your child. That was really the issue for my friend's child, unlike Galen and Corwin, who it was just developmentally, their their digestive system and esophagus, it was a developmental thing, but my friend's child is really a food allergy issue, so be aware of that and see, and don't hesitate to get testing or consult with a care provider or a specialist if that's what you think is going on. Um, And then, you know, if your child's doctor is just ignoring you, then I would really recommend that you put your foot down or that you call early intervention in your country yourself. It's called early intervention in the United States, but many countries have a similar program. And just, just always be your child's advocate if they're feeding difficulties or if you're worried that there really is something wrong, like uh, food allergies or developmental problems like Galen and Corwin had. Because you are your child's advocate, and you are his or her mama or daddy, and you know your child best. And you know if, if you have a gut feeling that something is outside the realm of normal, there's a good chance that that feeling is valid. So honor that in yourself. And I hope that this episode has been helpful. It's gotten a bit longer than I was hoping for it to, but I hope it's been helpful to you. Remember, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher, and I always welcome ratings and reviews on all the podcast directories. They help other parents see these and remember you can find me at naturalbirthandbabycare.com and if you're still waiting on your little one then I have an online childbirth course there mamababybirthing.com is where you can go directly to get information about that and, and get a lot of good information on pregnancy and birth and preparing for a newborn and how to, how to handle life as a new mom and with a new baby but I will talk to you next week and uh, and I'm looking forward to it have a great week and be blessed Thanks for listening to the Birth, Baby and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess. For great resources and tons more info, visit www.birthbabylife.com. Visit www.birthbabylife.com.